the human body can do some pretty amazing things when pushed to the limits. You hear stories of superhuman strength. I found a couple that I wanted to share with you that I thought were pretty amazing. In 2008, there was a Florida firefighter named Chris Hickman, and he and his team came upon the scene of a crash, and a man was pinned underneath an old Chevy Blazer, not the smaller version, but remember the old early 80s, 70s Blazers? Those were big, gas hogs. And the guy was pinned, and they couldn't get him out, and they had to get, it, get his arm out from underneath there. And he leans down and just picks up the Blazer. And people saw this happen. He picked it up, and then they were able to slide him out. And the report, you know, on the news and all of that was just like, that was like a miracle that he was able to do that. It's not that he was had superhuman strength, but in that moment, he did. Then in uh, the Guinness Book of World Record shows uh, the, the world's strongest grandma. <laughs> She's 76 years old, and she can lift 52-pound dumbbells, 52 pounds. And she can break a horseshoe, snap a horseshoe. That's pretty serious. And she can twist two-inch steel rods. And they asked her, they said, when did you first discover how strong you were? And she said when she was 10 years old, she was able to move 660 pounds of a container of grain on her own. She was able to push it. She knew something was serious there for her. And then this one really blew my mind. There's a guy from Los Angeles, and he did what they call a 50-50-50. So he ran, um, he ran... 50 marathons, a marathon is 26 miles, right? Am I right, runners? 26? Uh, Something like that. So it's a long ways, all right, more than I ran recently. And so 50 50 marathons in 50 days on all 50 states. Can you imagine running 26 miles one day, let alone for 50 days in a row? And he also ran 135 miles across the Mojave Desert in Death Valley, where it can get up to 120 degrees. And they asked him, they said, how do you do it? He said, you know, it hurts so much, your body is saying stop, but your, your body mechanisms kick in and override, and they, they force you to go on. I thought, wow, that's pretty impressive. I think in life, we hope to have the strength to do the things that we've been asked to do. How many recognize today you need strength? You need strength to do the life that God has given you. And I know some in this room are are weary and you feel just weak. How am I going to get through this? Because we also hope to have the strength to endure the difficulties of life. And I, today we're going to talk about the hope of strength. We're in this series called A Thrill of Hope where that line in O Holy Night, a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. And we know that this world is weary that we're in. Some of you are very weary in where you're at in life right now. And I'm I'm trusting God to speak a word to your soul this morning that will help you to find the strength that he has for you. Um, Also, we're looking at uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, which is a prophecy about the birth of Jesus. That was written like 700 years before Jesus came on the scene. Think about that. And we see it fulfilled in the Gospels where Jesus 
was born. It says in, in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Now what we're doing is we're looking at the different titles that he shall be called. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Last week we looked at how Jesus is the Wonderful Counselor. And that we have the, because of him, we have the hope of healing. Today we're going to look at that title, Mighty God, and what that has for us. So what I want you to write down first is this, Jesus is God. People can get really confused over the theological truth that Jesus is God. Christmas is a celebration of the incarnation. It's a celebration that though Jesus had a birth, he never had a beginning. He's God the Son. We worship one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are distinct from one another, yet there's one God. And I get it. That's like, that'll twist your mind into a, a pretzel if you try to figure it out. But there are certain truths in the Bible that we, we might not necessarily be able to compute or comprehend but we apprehend by faith because we see what the Word of God says about it. The Trinity and the Incarnation would be two of the big ones of that, in my opinion. Jesus has two natures. He's fully God, 100% God, and he's 100% human. Before, uh, before Mary, the, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary to do the, you know, uh, the Immaculate Conception, Jesus was... In eternity past with God the Father. But he took on an additional nature in taking on flesh. God took on flesh. That's Christmas at its finest. God came to us. And so Jesus from here on eternity has, has two natures. Fully God, fully human. Um, in trying to understand some of this, I, I came across something that I thought was worthy to read. There was an essay written by a third grader about trying to understand God and Jesus, and I think he comes pretty close. He says, one of God's main jobs is making people. He makes them to replace the ones that die so there'll be enough people to take care of things on earth. He doesn't make grown-ups just babies. I think because they are smaller and easier to make. <laughs> that way he doesn't have to take up his valuable time teaching them to talk and walk. He can just leave that to the mothers and fathers. God's second most important job is listening to prayers. An awful lot of this goes on since some people, like preachers and things, pray at times besides bedtime. <laughs> God doesn't have time to listen to the radio or TV because of this. Because he hears everything, there must be a terrible lot of noise in his ears, unless he had thought of a way to turn it off. God sees everything and hears everything and is, is, and is everywhere, which keeps him pretty busy. So you shouldn't go wasting his time by going over your mom and dad's head asking for something they said you couldn't have. <laughs> Jesus is God's son. He used to do all the hard work like walking on water and performing miracles and trying to teach people who didn't want to learn about God. 
They finally got tired of him preaching to them, and they crucified him. But he was good and kind like his father, and he told his father that they didn't know what they were doing and to forgive them, and God said, okay. His dad appreciated everything that he had done and all his hard work on earth, so he told him he didn't have to go out on the road anymore. <laughs> he could stay in heaven, and so he did. So now he helps his dad out by listening to prayers and seeing things which are important for God to take care of and which ones he can take care of himself without having to bother God. Like a secretary, only more important. You can pray. Picture God and Jesus, the Father and the Son just laughing over this. Um, you can pray anytime you want, and they are sure to hear you because they got, they got it worked out so one of them is on duty all the time. Your parents can't go everywhere with you, like to camp, but God can. It is good to know he's around you when you're scared in the dark or when you can't swim very good and you get thrown into deep water by big kids. But you shouldn't just always think of what God can do for you. I figure God put me here. He can take me back anytime he pleases. And that's why I believe in God. Pretty adorable, huh? Or adorbs, as we like to say. Um... The Apostle John writes this in John chapter 1, verse 18, about Jesus being God. He says, no one has ever seen God, the, the one and only Son who is himself God, and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. Jesus is God. Only as God can he be our Savior. Only as a human, only as a man could he fulfill what needed to be fulfilled to be the perfect sacrifice, our high priest, more than a teacher? He, he, Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life. All of the laws of the Old Testament, he fulfilled and lived it out perfectly. You and I needed someone to do that for us because it's impossible for us to ever do that perfectly. He did it for us, and he also paid the penalty that the law demands for sin. He did that for us. That's why we stand in his righteousness. It's, it's given to us, not earned. It's given to us by faith. Second thing I want you to write down is this, is Jesus is mighty. He's mighty. The babe in the manger that we celebrate at Christmas is the same one who spoke in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke and said, let there be light. That Jesus is the one who, who, who spoke. He's mighty. He's so mighty, he speaks and creates the universe. Meditate on that a little bit. In 1968, the Apollo 8 landed on the moon. And I don't know if some of you, I was one when that happened, but maybe six months old or whatever. But when the Apollo 8 landed on the moon, they, they took a picture of, of the earth from the moon and then they read the creation story in Genesis chapter 1. Check this out. This is live audio. Not live. We're not in 1968. This is the recording of what they spoke live. Back on Earth, the crew of Apollo 8 
has a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light. That it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, Let there be a movement in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the movement. And divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. <laughs> God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters called these seas. And God saw that it was good. And from the crew of Apollo 8, we close with good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you, all of you on the good earth. happened on Christmas Eve 1968 and what they think about what they saw I mean the earth is so small compared to the rest of the universe but how awesome would that you know to be able to see that and just to say he's mighty he's God and he's mighty in Colossians 1 15 through 20 one of the most awesome passages about the mightiness of Jesus. It says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. To say that Jesus is mighty, and that actual Hebrew word for mighty um, literally means a champion or a hero and Jesus is certainly our heroic champion and what he did for us a champion a champion is the one that's left standing after a conflict or a contest that's the one that stands victorious and that's Jesus a hero comes to save the day a hero comes right on time to rescue uh, people and to save and that's what Jesus has done for us by his death on the cross 
through what he did and living a perfect life and dying a brutal death and rising from the dead, man, he's our champion. He's our hero. One little kid, he prayed this. He said, dear God, please take care of my mommy, daddy, and my sister and my brother and my doggy and me. Oh, and please take care of yourself, God, because if anything happens to you, we're going to be in a big mess. <laughs> that is the truth. So let me ask you today. I wonder if you were to be honest with yourself, where do you need strength? Where do you need to experience the strength of the mighty God that we worship? What battles do you find yourself in? What struggles? And I wonder if sometimes you feel like this battle is, you're never going to win. You're never going to have victory. It just continue to lose, lose, lose. I wonder if you feel like, can I ever defeat these foes? If, if you're feeling that way, I got good news for you. You're in position to receive strength from God that you've never experienced before. Because we were never meant to fight our battles alone. We were never meant to, to do life alone. 1 Samuel chapter 30 tells a story about David. David and his mighty men went off to battle. And they, they, they had just were battle-weary. And they came back to this place called Ziklag. And that's where all their wives and children were at. Well, while they were off at battle, their enemies came and took all of their wives and children's captive and took them. They came back and, where are our wives? Where are our kids? And they were, the, David's mighty men were so upset that they were crying and distressed. You know, David's mighty men were some bad dudes, like rip a lion apart and all kinds of crazy things you read. And so they looked at David and they thought, they, he overheard them say, maybe we should kill David. Maybe we should stone him. They were mad. So David is battle-weary. He's stressed out. And his mighty men are, are thinking about killing him. And it says this, but David encouraged himself and strengthened himself in the Lord. He didn't take matters in his own hands or make excuses. It says he strengthened himself in the Lord. That's always stood out to me. God promises to do a few amazing things for us. He promises to give strength to the weak. And that is hard for us to admit, especially us men, right? We're not weak. We, we can do this. Or all of us, we're, we're, we're proud, and we don't want to admit when we're weak, if we're weak emotionally, if we're weak physically, if we're weak relationally. We don't like to admit that. If we're unable to overcome habits or addictions, who likes to admit that? Or, or overcome temptation that comes our way over and over, or pain that we're in. Here's the good news, though. When we admit that we are weak, we make ourselves available for his strength. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 12, he, Paul is, had some sort of what he called a thorn in the flesh. We don't know if it was a physical deal or what it was, probably, but he asked God to take it away from him three times. You ever been there? Lord, would you please take away this health problem? Lord, please take away this situation. And you plead with the Lord and it doesn't happen. Well, Paul said that the Lord spoke back to him and he said, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. 
So when you and I admit that we're weak, we're in position to receive strength. Second thing God promises to do is to give strength to the weary. He promises to give strength to the weary. I wonder if today you feel a little burned out, maybe burned out by the pace of life, the season of life, whatever. You just, maybe there's just been a lot going on emotionally. And we get weary when we get in those positions. Um, this week, I had the, the privilege of having lunch with Phil Diaz. And uh, if you don't know Phil Diaz, you need to get to know that man. He is full of wisdom and life, and he's a straight shooter. I appreciate you, Phil. And he took me out for some amazing food, and we were just talking, and he's telling me about his life and really cool things God's doing. And then he asked me the question. He said, he said uh, I'm going to try not to cry because I've been meditating on this since we had lunch, but because I want to be strong, right? I can't admit I'm weak. (laughs) He said, you minister to all of us. Who ministers to you? And I gave him a little pat answer of, I'm in a core group, and I have pastor friends. And and I got to thinking that day, and I was just, I was tired. Pastors don't have it all together all the time. You know that, right? (laughs) And I don't want you to worry about me. You don't need to be concerned. I just, I get weary just like anybody else. And I was going to drive from my house after that lunch over to the church, and I was thinking about what he said. And uh, I just called out to the Father. I said, Father, will you minister to me? And I had such a breakthrough. I had such a power of the Holy Spirit fell upon me. And it was just, Father, will you minister to me? And, man, I've been on cloud nine. Been on one of those little new vigors with the Lord and what he's doing. Have you ever asked the Father just to minister to you? Not, because if you're ministering to other people or doing for other people, he wants to minister through you. And so we have to be ministered to first before we're going to have the strength. Jesus modeled that for us. He always got alone with the Father before he was getting ready to do anything of ministry-wise. We always do it backwards. We go spend ourselves and then come home, wait, you know, tired and, okay, Lord, whatever ounce of energy I have left for my family or for, or for something. So let the Lord give strength to you if you're weary. Here's what it says in Isaiah. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. I heard a pastor teach one time on a theology of sleep. And he said, think about this. God created us as humans with a need for sleep. God never sleeps. He never takes a little nap. He doesn't yawn. He doesn't get weary. He's always perfect. He created you and I with a need for sleep. And when we don't get enough of it, we get grouchy. Or we fall asleep in church on a Sunday morning. Or whatever. And and we, we get tired. 
but he doesn't need to sleep. So almost when you lay your head down, Lord, I'm dependent upon you. When you go to bed, think about that, Lord. I need you to rejuvenate me. You created me with the need for you to give me strength. The third thing is God gives grace to the humble. Strength to the weak, strength to the weary, and grace to the humble. Who are the humble? The humble are those who admit their needs and that they need help. The humble admit that they are dependent upon somebody else. The humble, concerning our relationship with God, admit that we are 100% totally dependent upon God for every area of our life. And when we, we admit that, he gives grace to us. It says in James, God opposes the proud but gives grace and favor to the humble. The grace of God is the power to do what you could never do on your own. What are you trying to do today in your life on your own? Because if you're trying to do it on your own, you may have a little success in your willpower, but at the end, it's just going to blow up on you. But where do you need power that goes way beyond what you could ever do for yourself? That's grace. And if you humble yourself before the Lord, he promises to give that to you. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I say this all the time to myself, apart from him, I can do nothing. Apart from Jesus, you and I can't do diddly poo. <laughs> we can't do nothing. Nada. I think that's right, right? My Spanish, nada, tostada. You can't do anything. But when you're dependent upon him and filled with his grace, and you've humbled yourself, you can really quote Philippians 4.13 and be accurate in it. That you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Doing all things through Christ who strengthens me is not about home runs and closing business deals and winning a fight. It's about whatever circumstances I find myself in, I can go through these through Christ who gives me strength. So what does he want from you and I? How do we have the hope of strength and what do we bring to this? Two things. Number one, be strong in him and not in ourselves. God wants you to be strong in him. Learn what that means to be strong in him and not in yourself. In Ephesians 6.10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. If we go back to David, David strengthened himself in the Lord. That's why he was able to go through the difficulties that he went through. Even his failures, because he, he made some bonehead military moves that got them into the trouble. You and I are going to make some bonehead moves sometimes that get ourselves in difficult situations. David strengthened himself in the Lord. Go back two chapters to 1 Samuel 28, and you read about Saul. Saul found himself in similar situation, battle-weary, etc. Instead of strengthening himself in the Lord... Saul takes matters into his own hands. He actually goes and consults a medium to try to find wisdom and, and strength. And the result for Saul was disaster. The result for David was he was lifted up and built up because he strengthened himself in the Lord. How do we strengthen ourselves in the Lord? Write this down. Be prepared for battle. How do we be prepared for battle? Now, you know there's a real enemy, right? Um, it says in verse 11, through thir uh, 11 and 12, in the same passage I was reading, it says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is a real enemy. C.S. Lewis said this about the reality of the devil. He said there's two extremes. He said one extreme is to pretend uh, that the devil doesn't exist. And he said the other one is to look for him around every corner. <laughs> and you're just too obsessed with the devil's work. The balance is there is a devil, but he's defeated. He is a defeated foe. And in God's sovereign wisdom, he's allowed him to continue to, to do some things in this world. But he is defeated. And he wants us as, to believe, as believers to live in the power of his strength, his mighty power, his mighty strength. So you got to know your opponent. If you're going to know that you're in a battle and you're going to be prepared for battle, you got to know your opponent and you got to know your opponent's tactics. A couple quick things about the devil. Number one, he's a deceiver. He is out to deceive you and I to discard God's word or deceive us to do things that, you know, are not God's will. He's a liar. Jesus said that the devil can't do anything but lie, that everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. He's the tempter. The devil tempts us to sin, and he says, did God really say you can't do this? And he's just holding out on you, and he tempts you, and then when you act out on the sin, bam, he brings condemnation and the law, and you say, oh, look at you. You're a piece of dirt. Look at you. You're no good. So he teases it out of you. It's okay. It's okay. Bam, once you do it. You get a right, you get jab, jab, bam, and then he brings that home on you. He's an accuser. He's an intimidator. The Greek word for devil is diablos, which is the same word in Spanish, right? You know what that word diablos literally means? Slanderer. He is a slanderer. Now, side note on that. When you and I gossip or we slander somebody, man. I don't want to be controlled by the devil. I don't want to be his puppet. Let's never gossip and talk about people and judge people where we don't know anything about their life and their circumstances. That's why God wants us to walk in love. We don't want to be slanderers and be a puppet of the devil. The devil makes us, he causes us to look at our sin more than our Savior. He'll draw up the old home movies of the things that you've already dealt with and know that, that Jesus died for, and he'll try to condemn you with that. Now, obviously, God wants us to deal with sin quickly in our life and to repent, but Jesus died for our sins. He doesn't want us living in condemnation. The devil tries to make us believe that our trials uh, are punishment from God, that if you're going through a difficulty today, a difficult season, and... He's wanting you to say, yeah, God's punishing you. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. He's punishing you. That's not from God. God disciplines us, but he doesn't punish us with trials. And then the devil tries to make us think that our struggles are unique. He wants you to hear this voice that says, if you were a real Christian, you wouldn't do that. If you were a real Christian, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't struggle with this if you were a real Christian. You hear any of those voices of slanderous things towards the Savior and the gospel? You hear any of those voices that are saying God's punishing you as his child? No. Or that your, your struggles are unique? 
If you were a real Christian, you, you wouldn't do that. That's not from God. That's from the enemy. So we got to be prepared for battle. What do we do? Well, let's read this together. Paul says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. You got to do that every day. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. The belt of truth is the truth of who God is and who you and I are in Christ. Buckle your pants every day with that truth, right? You're like, I didn't need that, but I'm serious. Like, we forget so quickly. Then he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness to cover your heart. The breastplate covers the heart and the most vital part of your innards. You need to know that you're righteous not because of yourself, but because of what Christ did for you and who he is for you. With your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Hold that shield out of faith. He's throwing those darts at you of accusing, tempting, all that. Hold out the shield of faith. He says, take the helmet of salvation, cover your mind, your thought life, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Put on the full armor of God. That's how you prepare yourself for battle. Now, God is our deliverer. We want him to be our avoider, that we avoid difficulties. God, would you, and I'm sure he has caused you and I to avoid all kinds of difficulties. But sometimes he allows things to come into our life to show us that he is our deliverer. And I bet you today we need that, some of us. I want you to stand. We're going to pray a prayer out loud together. Before we pray, if you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ as Savior, today's the day. Give your life back to Him and let Him give you salvation and the ultimate purpose for your life. Turn away from self and sin and say, God, I want to walk with you. I want to walk with your Son. I believe that He died for me and that He rose again. Today I'm putting my faith in Him. We're going to pray this prayer out loud together and just it's a prayer of asking God for the strength that we need. Today, if you're weak, today, if you're weary, you're humbling yourself, you're in position to receive grace from him. Let's pray this out loud together. Lord, you are holy above all others, and all of the strength that I need is in your hands. I'm not asking, Lord, that you take this trial away. Instead, I simply ask that your will be done in my life. Whatever that means, that is what I want. But I admit that it's hard, Lord. Sometimes I feel like I can't go on. The pain and the fear are too much for me. And I know that I don't have the strength on my own to get through this. I know that I can come to you, Jesus, and that you will hear my prayer. I know that it is not your intent to bring me to this point just to leave me in the wilderness alone. Please give me the strength that I need to face today. I don't have to worry about tomorrow. If you just give me the strength that I need today, that is all I need. Keep me from sinning during this trial. Instead, 
Help me to keep my eyes on you. You are the Holy Lord, and all of my hope rests on you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.